And here we go. We finally made it to Miami Marlins opening day. Yesterday was the first day of the MLB season. Got to see some good matchups yesterday. Unfortunately, that Yankees-Nationals game was cut short, but those six innings that we did watch was a blast. Dodgers game also a lot of offensive firepower. And now we finally get to see the team that we've been waiting to see, this new-looked Miami Marlins ball club going to be a really fun year because of how short it is. We've talked about that in the past, and I'm really excited to be able to give you some of my predictions for this season. I'll give you the realistic predictions, a couple hot takes, and then some of my takeaways from the new playoff format and everything in between, but this is just, it feels like Christmas Day. I mean, I know I can't go to opening day and cover it. I can't go as a fan, but at this point, you know, we really just got a chance to realize how much we take for granted. I definitely never thought that going to a baseball game in person could be taken away from me. And the fact that baseball period was taken away from all of us, it makes me just so much more grateful to just even have the game on my television today. So I hope you feel the same way. And I am just crazy amped to see what this team's got in this 60 game sprint. And this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So the Marlins finally play baseball today, and we've we got a taste of what the team could look like in those exhibition games against the Braves. Marlins offense looked really good. The pitching in certain aspects looked very solid. The starting pitching looked good. A majority of the bullpen has been pleasantly surprising. And there's a lot of questions to be answered with this team. Maybe the most exciting part about it all is the young prospects that are making their way up to the bigs and knocking on the door. The fact that this Marlins team, though, is competitive already without those youngins that are those potential superstars that we're waiting on, Jesus Sanchez, Sixto Sanchez, Monte Harrison, just to name a few. Those are the guys that are closer to coming up. But even without them helping out at the big league level, the fact that the Marlins have Jonathan Villar now and Corey Dickerson and Jesus Aguilar, it's just much more refreshing to see a team that is more filled out and more balanced top to bottom. The starting pitching is finally healthy. Pablo Lopez is back. Caleb Smith is healthy. Sandy Alcantara is building off of a really good second half. Jose Urania has made some adjustments, as I've discussed in the last couple episodes, with his use of the sinker. Can he be a solid back-end guy? The fact of the matter is the Marlins... While they might not end up being great this season, they have that little bit of potential to be good to where you can hold out and just almost dream on it, if that makes sense. Because before, when the Marlins are rolling out a 38-year-old Curtis Granderson and Roselle Herrera and Cesar Puello, you can't even pretend to hope that the Marlins can be competitive at that point. And that's also in a 162-game season. But now with a more filled out and balanced roster, and we've seen what this offense can do, and with some underrated pitchers, and you add the fact that some talent is knocking on the door that could help the Marlins make a push. Look, I'm not saying that I'm counting on the Marlins to really be entirely competitive this year, but at least 
I would not be shocked if it happened. If the Marlins were competitive last year, I would have been baffled. Just nothing short of baffled with the team that they put out. This is a much different ball club. So some of the predictions that I have, I will get to in a second. First, I want to talk about that new rule with the expanded playoffs that seemed to be announced like after the season started. It was like the second inning of the game on ESPN between the Yankees and the Nats. And it was like, all right, guess what? Playoffs are bigger now. So... You know, Nationals, you're 0-1 probably right now, but guess what? Game doesn't matter as much because all you have to do is come in second in your division and you'll probably, you actually are a lock to make it. The second place team in every division makes it as if they were the first place team. So the top two teams in every division make the playoffs and then there's still two wildcard teams. At first, I really did not like the idea because certain divisions are much more loaded than other divisions. We know that when you look at the NL East, perhaps the best division in baseball, and then you look at the NL West, which is just the Dodgers, I do think the Diamondbacks are sneaky good. But then outside of those two teams, the Rockies are not great. Then you have the Padres who are up and coming, a very similar position as the Marlins, but not a great team by any stretch. And then the Giants, which I don't know if you saw that lineup they put out yesterday. I I can't really express how bad that lineup was. It's It was honestly depressing to look at that starting nine for the Giants. So my thoughts are with the San Francisco Giants fans this year. I'm sure they're happy that this season is shorter because it's going to be a long one regardless for them. And as I'm recording this, I just got the update from the Marlins communications Twitter, the PR Twitter basically, that just updated me that Jorge Alfaro had just been moved to the injured list, did not disclose the injury yet. We'll see what that is. That is a blow because that is one of the guys that I think many of us We're counting on to make some strides this year and looked really good in that exhibition series against the Braves. Overall, you know, you're getting my raw reaction to this right now because I just looked at it as it flashed up on my phone, which I rarely even look at during the podcasts. But that just makes the signing of Francisco Cervelli that much more important. We do know that Jorge Alfaro is vastly superior in the offensive category But Francisco Cervelli is very, very savvy behind the dish. I was excited to see what kind of influence he can have on Alfaro in terms of his veteran presence and some of the intricacies of the game and calling a game behind the dish. But the power punch that Alfaro can offer, the athleticism, the plus speed, the cannon behind the plate, that's not something you're going to be able to replace. So that is definitely a blow for the Marlins early on. Let's hope it's just something minor for Alfaro, and we'll see what happens. But the fact that he just got instantly moved to the injured list is a little bit concerning. Hope, of course, that it's not COVID-related. This whole thing is very complicated, and you always have to fear for that at first. Hopefully, it's just a little twinge of his back or something else, and he'll be back soon enough. But this is just a reminder of the fact that the Marlins do need to acquire some catching prospects, whether it's through the draft, through a trade that they end up making down the line, or something else. Because outside of Alfaro, there are no catching prospects with a legitimate ceiling or that are near major league ready 
the only catching prospect with some semblance of a decent ceiling is Will Banfield, and I'd argue that his ceiling isn't that all that high. His prospect allure or his value is the fact that he has such a high floor with his superior defense. Marlins definitely need to look catcher in this upcoming draft. Just beyond Jorge Alfaro, there needs to be some contingency plans. But again, very important, and it comes up very clutch here that the Marlins signed Cervelli. And the fact that Chad Wallach is still rostered on the ball club is also very beneficial, and he will end up seeing some of my bats, I'm sure, in the next few ball games. 60 games in 66 days. You're going to have to carry three catchers quite often unless you really have to make the roster spot open. And for now, Wallach is very needed behind a veteran and aging catcher in Francisco Cervelli. So Alfaro aside, talking about some of the other predictions I have and then really getting back into the division talk because that was something I just strayed away from with Alfaro getting sent to the IL. The playoff format With the second place teams making it, as I mentioned, the NL West being not as good as some of the other divisions, specifically the NL East, at first it's kind of frustrating because you're like, you know, they could be in third place, some team in the NL East, let's say the Marlins have a good record in third place, a much better record than the second place team in the NL West. It is frustrating with seeding because if you have a good record and you're in third place, you'll probably get the wild card spot that they are still offering for the final two spots in each league. However, it is frustrating seeding-wise. I was a little bit more receptive to it when I realized that two-thirds of the games that you play are going to be against teams in your division, which kind of makes mitigates the risk of having three or four teams even in the NL East with better records than the second place team in the NL West, which is a stretch to say the least anyways, but it's almost impossible now with so many games inside of your division. So having the second place team in your division when you play almost all your games against your division, it shouldn't be much of an issue. The Marlins, of course, just get the short end of the stick, but they already had the short end of the stick with having to play the NL East so many times. The Marlins did play the Phillies really well last year. I do think the Braves are the team to beat right now with the Phillies not far behind. The Nationals are just not quite what they were in that World Series ball club for obvious reasons. Anthony Rendon's gone. Now Soto's out for a few games. How much longer can Max Scherzer put up these Cy Young caliber seasons? Can Strasburg stay healthy? Is the bullpen going to be any better? A lot of questions with the Nationals. They do have Carter Keyboom coming up to help them out. But overall, I'm not totally sold on the Nats either. Eric Thames and Starlin Castro isn't enough to make me feel like you've done anything to replace Anthony Rendon, who is pretty much irreplaceable. So the Marlins, I think, could legitimately not finish in last place, which shouldn't be a hot take, but it kind of is. I've seen anybody who says that get chastised by the general fans in Major League Baseball, and I understand that. But I think the Marlins could easily finish above the Mets, and that's going to be my take My divisional take is that the Marlins finish above the Mets, especially with the Cindergaard injury. You're relegated to just having Jacob deGrom, who I say just because he is incredible, but he can't pitch every single day. Jacob deGrom is probably the best pitcher in baseball besides Garrett Cole. He's your ace, but outside of him, then what? Your number two, Steven Matz, Rick Porcello, Michael Waka. Until Marcus Stroman comes back and shows that he can continue to pitch the way he did in the second half last year, If he even does come back, he did tweet that he's not concerned about it, but I 
really don't believe everything I hear from Marcus Stroman. I'm going to have to see it with my own eyes that he's healthy and that he'll be back. I don't know if there's a timeline there. But if Stroman is not healthy, I'm not sold on this Mets team with that pitching staff that really just only features one certainty, and that's Jacob DeGrom. As for the offense, you're counting on Yoenis Cespedes to be your DH who hasn't played in like three years. I love Pete Alonso, but I do think he has to slow down a little bit. Can J.D. Davis really repeat what he did last year? A lot of questions. We'll see what happens with the Mets, but there's enough questions and volatility between the Nets and the Mets and the Nationals, excuse me, that there's a chance that the Marlins could leapfrog one of them, more likely being the Mets just because of the Nationals pitching staff and the fact that they just won the World Series, whether you think that they can really repeat it or get back to that level or not very dependent on whether Juan Soto and Victor Robles can continue to make strides. I do think Soto is a generational talent. We'll have to see on Robles, though. I do think Robles is a legitimate player as well. I'm going to get into my Marlins predictions, which I'm very excited about individually with each player that I think could break out, players that might disappoint, and everything in between. But first, let me tell you about Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. As you know, it can be pretty difficult to find that exact part for your car that you need. It seems like there's just a trillion parts that put your car together and you wonder how something doesn't break every day. But things do break quite often. And instead of taking it to the dealership, having to pay a premium for the service and for the part, you can get it for 25 to 50% cheaper, sometimes even more without the headache and waiting for the car dealership to give you your car back finally and then hand you the ridiculous bill with it. RockAuto.com makes it super easy by searching for your specific car, then the make, and you can just go from there and it will already take you to what parts you might need for that car. It's super easy to navigate. And as someone who's not very savvy with cars, I can attest it has made things so much easier for me. I hope that nothing breaks on your car, but if it does, go to rockauto.com and you will thank me later. Right, locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So real quick, going to talk about some of my predictions overall for the Marlins season. And some are a little bit more hot takes. Some are probably more unanimous beliefs. But going into now this first game, I think Sandy Alcantara is going to be the most steady and consistent player in the Marlins rotation overall, just because of his ability to eat innings, his ability to stay healthy and really keep the pitch count low. He's shown that he can continue to improve. That's not a hot take by any means, but I think there's a very, very high chance that Pablo Lopez comes out as the ERA leader for the Marlins, and I think he could be in the top 15 in the entire league in ERA when this shortened season is done. Lopez adds the cutter to complement the changeup which was already a plus pitch. The two pitches tail in opposite directions. He also gains about a mile per hour and a half on his fastball from the 
beginning of his MLB stint to just about now to the end of last year. And that is huge because it creates more separation between his fastball and his already solid changeup. He seems to have more comfort with every pitch in his arsenal, and adding another pitch just makes him that much more difficult to hit. He's sneaky tall at six foot four, yet he still keeps his mechanics very sound, hides the ball well. This is a guy that seems to keep improving, and he's a very cerebral pitcher where he is smart at executing his pitches while the catcher does call the game. Lopez is very aware of his strengths and weaknesses as a pitcher and has been playing to his strengths very well. He looked really good in his last outing against the Braves. He's looked really good in summer camp. And Mel Stoudemire Jr., the Marlins pitching coach, has been vastly impressed with what he saw from Pablo Lopez, had glowing things to say about Lopez. The other guy who I really think is going to be great is Brian Anderson. And these two predictions, so to speak, are probably more consensus predictions amongst Marlins fans because we saw what Brian Anderson did in the second half last year. If he didn't get hurt, he would have kept the ball rolling right into game 162. He was fantastic down the stretch, and he made a case in the second half to be the Marlins MVP, was very productive. Now he has a lineup with more opportunities to drive in runs. Now the pitcher is not in the lineup either, so you have Miguel Rojas as a second leadoff guy in the nine hole. So with Anderson at the top of the order, just way more RBI opportunities, way more opportunities to score runs because of the offense behind him too, with some of the middle of the order featuring probably Corey Dickerson behind him, Jesus Aguilar behind him, and so on and so forth. This is a much better lineup top to bottom, which Brian Anderson will benefit from immensely. And now Anderson has some continuity defensively as he's sticking by third base. I think that Brian Anderson, if Nolan Arenado isn't in the National League, he has a legitimate shot at being one of the better third basemen in the entire game. I would take an outside shot at a gold glove for him with Rendon heading over to the American League, but it's going to be hard to steal one away from Nolan Arenado. I do think he's going to be one of the best defensive third basemen in the game this year, and especially the National League. Now, this is not as exciting of a prediction because I really hate to even say it. I think most of you will probably disagree with me on this based on the optimism around him, but I have not loved what I've seen from Aizen Diaz, and I do think that he could struggle out of the gate a good bit. I do hope that he can get comfortable and finish strong and keep that momentum into next year. I'm not saying he's going to play so badly that he loses his spot at second base. I do think there's a little bit of over-optimism with Isan Diaz because he just looks still a lot similar to he, the way he did in his stint last year in the bigs, which is the game looks a little bit too fast for him. It is just a little bit too much for him to catch up to. You're seeing pitchers double up on the same pitch against him, and he's swinging through it twice. That's never a good sign. And the fact that pitchers are comfortable to double up on him is a little bit concerning. I do hope that Don Mattingly keeps him in the bottom of the lineup just as he gets acclimated. But for now, I'm not overly confident after what I've seen. And he is a little bit too passive at the plate as well. You're seeing him take a lot of first pitch strikes. Then he fouls off one pitch, and just like that, he's down 0-2, and, and the pitchers have several pitches to work with. Would like to see Isan be more aggressive, and I would like to see him make some more adjustments at the plate. He's very dependent on his rhythm. He's the type of guy that's going to get very hot at times and then very cold at times. It would be nice to see if he could find a middle ground and a little bit more consistency, but right now I'd even take a hot streak mixed in with some cold streaks because... 
It's been mostly struggle for Izan right now. Hope he proves me wrong, but I could see a little bit more of a struggle in a shortened season and a player like him pressing a little bit more, knowing there's only so many games for him to turn it around. But then back to the positives. The back end of the Marlins bullpen is great and underratedly great. And I don't think the Marlins, I said this on the last podcast, I don't think Don Mattingly is going to go to one specific closer. I think that there's going to be three different, at least, maybe even four. I'm going to keep it safe with three different relievers with multiple saves this season. Brad Boxberger should have a couple saves. Ryan Stanek should have a couple saves. And of course, Brandon Kinsler should have a few of his own. You can make a case for Alex Vesia maybe picking up a save or two if the ninth inning presents several left-handed hitters. There's a few other guys that could sneak their way in, maybe even a Jordan Holloway if he looks good. But I'm going to play it safe, though I do think three relievers for the Marlins will have multiple saves this year, but probably Brandon Kinsler comes out with the most. You just don't know what the Marlins are going to do in that regard, but I do think it is going to be a closer by committee right now. And my final I would say record prediction. It is tough that the Marlins have to play so many games against the NL East. However, I do think that they will match up pretty good against teams like the Mets when they come across the back end of their rotation. And the way the offense has performed and looks that it'll be a little bit better. The Marlins do have the edge outside of DeGrom, of course, who makes that rotation just overall better than the Marlins. But if you go from top to bottom in terms of balance, when the Marlins have 3-4-5 going against the Mets, 3-4-5, I'd say advantage Marlins. Even if Elysia Hernandez is struggling, at that point, maybe Nick Neidert's in there. Maybe Sixto Sanchez is getting a taste. But overall, the Marlins' rotational depth is maybe one of the best-kept secrets in baseball, and it could help them, especially when they need to make a spot start here and there because of how many games there are in so many limited days, 60 games, 66 days, as I keep reminding you, the Marlins starting pitching depth will work in their favor with Nick Neidert waiting to make appearances. And as I said, Sixto, maybe Edward Cabrera, we don't know who could come up, but there's so many different options. And I am very eager to see how the Marlins can use that to their advantage. And then of course, the prospects coming up. I think Monte Harrison, once he comes up, he's going to be a human highlight reel. While I do think there's going to be some growing pains where he is going to have those 0 for 4 with 3K type of games, he still brings so much value with the glove. I'm sure he's going to make so many highlight reels out there defensively. His arm is a 70 to 80 grade arm out there. He's going to swipe bags as we saw in spring training 1.0, and he's going to hit home runs as we saw in summer camp spring training 2.0. When he comes up, he is, has the ability to impact the game at any moment. And those are the types of guys you need on your squad. Even if he's hitting 250, he has the ability to make that game-saving catch, to steal that pivotal base to get in scoring position, to get the extra base on a base hit. It just goes on and on. And I think that he will be that X factor for the Marlins down the stretch. It'll just be a matter of how good they are at that point. My overall record prediction for the Marlins is 28 and 32, just narrowly missing the playoffs. But at least at that point, they'd be in the hunt probably for those last two wild card spots with the expanded playoffs. And we'd have a fun baseball season regardless. Hopefully, some of the young guys will come through at that point and help out. 
Hope you're doing well and hope you are very excited for this opening day. If you're listening to this after opening day, hopefully you're enjoying the hangover of a potential Marlins win. And we have a fun season ahead of us. We made it. Baseball is back. Enjoy opening day.